You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde's off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up on the program, Apple hits a $3 trillion valuation. Will we close above that historic market cap milestone? Remains to be seen. The co-founder of DeepMind, now the CEO of Inflection AI. He discusses the potential of his company after raising a whopping $1.3 billion. And more trouble for Adobe's purchase of Figma, with the UK joining the EU and US in multiple probes of that $20 billion deal. Such a big week in the world of technology. But there is one big story this Friday, and it is Apple. The first company ever to hit a $3 trillion market cap. And this chart tells the story. Look at the $900 billion of market cap we've added so far in 2023. What is the story here? We will get to it in just a moment. But I remind you, last time we were near that level was at the beginning of 2022. It's taken us that long to get back. There is one person you want to speak to on a day like today, and it is Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. Mark, you cover this company as close as any journalist on the planet. I want to start by asking you, what kind of a moment is this? What kind of a milestone in technology history is registering a $3 trillion market cap? Ed, thank you so much for having me. Obviously, this is an incredibly big milestone uh, for Apple or any technology company, really. And for Apple to do this, to get back to where it was in early 2022, you saw what happened to the broader market over the last year or so. And to really come back up that mountain and get back to here is a big moment for the company. I think that you saw a slew of departures, not only at the executive level, but maybe at the mid-level or lower level of the company. And one continued theme on those departures was people felt like their RSUs or the restricted stock units would not really pay out as much money as maybe they can earn in another company. Right. And the stock coming back up. Right. I think that could be a key way that Apple will be able to retain people uh, moving forward as well. It adds new excitement to the rank and file of the company. They know what they're working towards in terms of an ultimate payout for the consumer. It doesn't really have an impact. But I think internally at Apple, it is a something they'll never say. But I think it is a, a quite a positive moment. 
that, that deep reporting is such a good point as well. It has not yet been brought up in our coverage on Bloomberg Television of the $3 trillion milestone. The short-term story for the consumer has been about Vision Pro, but you argue in today's Tech Daily that actually, if you think about the $3 trillion market cap, it's not got much to do with Vision Pro at all. What's your point? Yeah, I think we would hit this $3 trillion market cap whether or not Apple announced the Vision Pro headset in June at the developers' conference or not. I think the Vision Pro story, you know, very long-term for Apple, could become an Apple Watch or iPad-sized opportunity, uh, which is about $25 billion annually to the bottom line, and that's in the real long-term. In the short-term, you're not likely to see this generate more than 2 to $4 billion a year annually for Apple, uh, which is essentially very small. It's 1% to 2% of their overall annual revenue. It's really the ecosystem play, right? It's the idea that the ecosystem locks you in and such where you're going to own an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, and then every few years or so, you're going to upgrade to new models. On top of that, you're going to subscribe uh, to services. You're going to use Apple Care. You're going to visit Apple retail stores. You're going to buy more accessories like AirPods, the Apple Watch, uh, and maybe one day the Vision Pro at a cheaper price as well, right? And so that stickiness, the idea where consumers are willing to spend extra, they're really willing to shell out for a new iPhone, the priciest iPhone with the most storage you can get, that's what makes this company so lucrative and so special to the shareholder. Uh, one really important aspect that we also haven't touched upon about this $3 trillion measure is that we're heading right into iPhone season. Believe it or not, we're only about two months away from the iPhone 15 uh, going on sale. The iPhone 15 is going to be a pretty significant upgrade on both the low-end models and the high-end models for the first time in three years since the iPhone 12 launched in 2020. New design, big camera improvements, changes to the display on the cheaper models, you're going to see another big iPhone upgrade cycle. And so I think consumers are excited to only be eight weeks away uh, from that, and shareholders see that excitement. And so you're likely to see yes. a big influx of purchases in just a few months, which obviously is going to drive attention to purchasing the stock too. Mark, quickly, the, the one phrase or word you haven't used is artificial intelligence. Why are we not talking about Apple in the context of artificial intelligence? Because Apple has really set out this recent AI boom, right? Over the past year or so, you've seen Microsoft, Google, obviously OpenAI with ChatGPT. You've seen Amazon all throw around the buzzword and talking about their new generative AI, uh, chatbots and such. Apple has really stood on the sidelines here. And I don't anticipate any significant new AI-related service from Apple to launch uh, until the tail end of 2024, uh, calendar year 2024, at the earliest. So... There's not much there. I know there's been some speculation from analysts and such that Apple is nearing some sort of generative AI ecosystem. There's nothing coming soon, and so I don't really think that could be priced into the stock as of yet. And I don't necessarily think that Apple is planning very significant AI initiatives other than a new AI-based health coaching service for next year. But obviously, the mother of all AI projects, as Tim Cook has said, is the company's self-driving car you're unlikely to see that uh, at least for another four years or so. Yeah, you and I have done a lot of digging on the subject of an Apple self-driving car. We'll stick with it. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, Everything Apple. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. All right, that's top story number one. Top story number two, we go to the UK, where antitrust regulators are launching an in-depth investigation into Adobe's $20 billion purchase of Figma. Let's get the details. Bloomberg's Catherine Gemmell live for us in London. Catherine, what do we know? 
Hi Ed, thanks very much for having me. Um, so what we know today is that the CMA, so the Competition and Markets Authority, has said that the Adobe Figma Day will need an in-depth investigation unless the companies offer any remedies up to you know, solve these antitrust problems that they, got, they have found in the first stage of this investigation. Um, so, I mean, the main concerns from um, the CMA are that um, within the design um, platform and the supply of screen uh, tools as well, and, you know, these are two areas where Adobe and Figma really compete. And the main concerns are that if Adobe buys Figma, then that means that they're really going to take that competition away and that could, rise, that could lead to a rise in prices for customers and could also stifle innovation. We're just showing the shares of Adobe up 1.6% near session highs. When you get a headline like this, sometimes the stocks react negatively because the market's thinking, wow, maybe this deal won't happen. Is that the situation we're in now? How serious is this development in the context of a deal actually getting done? Look, I mean, it's too early right now to know whether it's serious or not. I mean, these sort of deals will obviously always get some scrutiny. This particular deal is also getting scrutiny at the DOJ in the US and um, is potentially facing scrutiny in Europe. So, I mean, we'll need to, you know, find out what the CME um, finds in its potential phase two investigation, whether we know it's going to be serious or not. These are just the stages that these sorts of deals have to go through. And, of course, you know, that the CME, um, that people rely, consumers in the UK rely on the CME to do to make sure that consumers are getting a good deal. Bloomers, Catherine Gemmel in London. How often is this happening? the trifecta US, EU, UK regulators when we're talking about a tech deal. Great reporting this Friday. We'll stick with it. Now, coming up, Inflection AI's CEO is going to join us to discuss the company's $1.3 billion fundraise. And it came from the likes of Reid Hoffman, Bill Gates and NVIDIA. Big conversation coming up. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Inflection AI has just announced it's raised $1.3 billion in funding from investors like NVIDIA. And earlier this year, Inflection AI launched its first product, a chatbot called Pi, a personally modeled AI chatbox. Inflection AI CEO and co-founder Mustafa Suleiman joins us from London, interestingly. Uh, congratulations, what is frankly a, mo- a monster round. Why did you need to raise that much money? Thanks, Ed. Yeah, great to be with you and appreciate the congrats. I mean, um, you know, we're really building the cutting edge of machine learning models today in order to create Pi, our our conversational AI, and that requires vast amounts of compute. I mean, we're actually constructing the largest supercomputer in the world today built on NVIDIA's H100 chips. And that's obviously very expensive, but as a startup, um, it actually enables us to get the best of both worlds, have you know, the kind of resources that you might otherwise expect in a big tech company, but also the speed, agility, and super high quality talent that you get when you bring together uh, the kinds of folks that have been involved in building all the last generation of models at DeepMind, OpenAI, and at Google. All the attention goes to NVIDIA because they are participating in this round, Mustafa, but you are building the underlying LLM or foundation model using their H100 GPUs. Yeah, I mean, we have an incredible partnership with them. They've been fantastic to us. Not only are they investing in this round, but they made us uh, their key partner to get access to H100s, and we've built uh, a really powerful cluster with them. Just a couple days ago, we announced that we have the fastest-performing AI cluster in the world, and uh, in a few months' time, we will have increased the size of that cluster to be the second-largest supercomputer on the planet which is just an an incredible opportunity. And so we're super grateful for their partnership, but also the partnership with uh, Microsoft. You know, we use Azure. They have an incredible cluster there, and their their AI infrastructure is also second to none. Mustafa, when when I bumped into you in the the corridor of Bloomberg Technology Summit last week, I reminded you of something you said on on stage about AI development being a meritocracy. You, You mentioned that in passing, but I wondered if you could elaborate on what you meant by that. Well, it's a meritocracy in the sense that, you know, the cutting edge is also being open sourced and made available to millions of developers around the world to um, adapt, innovate and experiment. And um, it's kind of an incredibly interesting time because on the one hand, models are getting bigger and better. And on the other, they're also getting more efficient, smaller and cheaper to run. So both directions of progress are really being turbocharged in this new wave of AI, and that's incredibly meritocratic, and we're seeing huge innovation at both ends of the spectrum. Supercharged and, and merit, in a meritocratic way, but you guys kind of have a big advantage in, in the access to the H100s and, and the compute that the GPUs provide. Is there a way you can kind of quantify the advantage for me? I think a lot of people will say, okay, we have Inflection AI and Pi. How is it similar and or different to OpenAI and GPT 3.5? What is the difference technologically and the goals as well? Yeah, it's a fair question. So um, our most recent LLM, which is called Inflection 1, um, is actually better on all of the public benchmarks than Google's Palm 1, DeepMind's Chinchilla, and OpenAI's GPT 3.5. 
which is a great achievement for a small organization like ours. In terms of the total amount of compute that we have, the 22,000 H100s uh, in aggregate represents three times more computation than was required to train GPT-4, according to the best uh, guesses of the, the rumors online these days. So it is a seismic amount of compute, and it gives us an enormous advantage because we're really concerned with building the absolute cutting edge. Like We really want to build the absolute best experiences in the world so that when you get access to your personal AI, Pi, um, it's going to be aligned with your interests and on your team and increasingly be able to do useful things for you. It will book you know, appointments for you. It will plan holidays. It will you know, buy things for you and be a scheduler. And everybody has been waiting for that moment when the real personal digital assistant arrives. And we think that Pi, you know, PI.AI, which is where you can access it online, is, is really going to be that assistant. Mustafa, you use words like building. And I think about your past, your career, your time at DeepMind, Google. How important is it right now that you are basically moving from research to real-world introduction of a tool? I, you know, a lot of people uh, are calling to halt, hit the brakes, right, on development. Um, but, but that seems to be the point of differentiation, moving from development of future generations of models or indeed the research arm to having a product that, that businesses and consumers can use. I mean, AI is now coming of age. I mean, this is going to be the meta technology of our times. It is going to be the technology that enables everything else. Uh, just like electricity or steam powered the last huge industrial uh, you know, revolutions. And so that's very exciting for us because it's a very practical time. Um, you know, we're doing applied research. We're getting things to work in production and at scale uh, with millions of users. And that's really the fun of it, is making these things very, very useful and seeing how they save time, improve performance, increase quality, and increasingly enable us to actually create completely new experiences that technology has never enabled before. I kind of think of this as a new sort of design material. It's a new clay that we can use to mold and create emergent, entirely personalized, and completely adaptive experiences, which are going to feel very unlike the kinds of static user interfaces that we've had of the past. I mean, today, a website is a website is a website. It's just static and 2D, and it stays the same. Tomorrow, your conversational AI is going to enable you to experience dynamic, real-time generated, personalized user interface, and it will feel really magical compared to what we've had in the past. Mustafa, what scares you? in all of this? I think what's amazing about this technology is that it is the ultimate force amplifier, right? Wherever uh, there is a desire to take actions in the world, to generate new content, you know, people are now going to have access to a tool that makes that easier to plan and to create. And of course, uh, you know, that's going to lower the barrier to entry to create chaos. And some people, you know, with bad intentions will choose to, you know, amplify the disruption, unfortunately. But I'm pretty confident that the vast majority of people are going to use these tools for incredible uh, good. And that where there are downsides, like, for example, the spread of misinformation or the, the growth of counterfeit people, which imitate... Yes you know, real humans, I think we're going to get control of that pretty quickly. Uh, Mustafa, you're joining us from London. What are you doing in my old stomping ground, my hometown? 
<laughs> well, this week coming up, we have a hackathon with our team. Uh, we uh, relocate to a, a different city uh, you know, every month or so. We get together and uh, we work on a project. So you should expect uh, some exciting new product features to be coming out uh, in, the, in the next few weeks. It's, uh, it's just a great time to be building. So it's great to be here in London in the summer too. Uh, Inflection AI CEO Mustafa Suleiman. I feel like I see you every week, but we're on a good trend. Thank you so much. <laughs>
but both of them had 12,000 attendees at the conference. So while they both operate in the same space, they also have quite distinct audiences that use them and leverage them, right. and quite indicative of the growth in data. If you think about 10 years ago when Alation was founded, when Databricks was roughly founded, when Snowflake was roughly founded, these are companies that had 2,500 people at the biggest data conferences, and now you have almost 10 times that amount. So both of them are indicative of the massive growth in data, and we're excited to be a part of it and excited to rationalize all of this data in the ecosystem. I reported recently that Databricks' SQL product had passed $100 million in annualized revenue. That's an area they're trying to grow, kind of puts them in an interesting territory with Snowflake. How do you work with both companies? It, it, what is the interplay between Alation and their both sort of the, the, I mean, everything from ML and AI through to, to cloud-based enterprise is interesting. So we describe Alation as a data intelligence platform. What is that? What does that exactly mean? Well, if you live inside of the standard enterprise, think about companies like Pfizer and Cisco and Virgin Australia and NASDAQ, all of whom are Alation customers. These are companies that have petabytes and petabytes of data strewn across Databricks, Snowflake, Amazon, Microsoft, Oracle, all of this legacy technology that it has existed since you know, the last 20 years. And so what Alation does is it provides a map of your data so that any person can find and understand and trust that data. And as a result of that, we have over 500 customers, 35 of the Fortune 100 use us. But the broad idea is that if you exist inside of one of these companies, you basically are existing if you don't have Alation, you know, as somebody maybe who's trying to navigate the streets of Boston without a map or you know, trying to navigate the web without Google. It's just impossible to do, and we provide you with that capability. The specific that. use case right now is generative AI, and in distinction from AI more broadly, because you have to use your own data set to make a generative AI tool relevant to whatever it is you do. Where does Alation come in in that process? So you can't do trusted AI without having trusted data. And your own data. And on your own data or even on third-party data. So if you think about all of these models, they operate on a garbage-in, garbage-out basis. And particularly in the realm of structured data, if you have a really highly well-trained model operating off of very bad, poor data, what you're going to have is multiplicatively wrong answers. You're going to get consistently bad outputs. And so the ability to be able to locate the right data sets, the ability to understand that the data that you're feeding this model is appropriate and well is a massive problem that every one of these companies has to deal with and frankly that Snowflake and Databricks has to deal with in order to get their customers to adopt at scale. The simple concept of the company, Alation, is to help an organization, its users, find, manage, trust the data that they're looking at. There's a lot of interest in your company for transparency, you raised $123 million in November, I think. That's right. And Databricks' venture arm did participate in that. So That's correct. You are their most trusted partner, but they also are one of your backers. Interesting valuation as well, $1.7 billion. How do you grow your business from here? We were, interestingly, at that point in time in November, 50% up, up when the rest of the market was 70%. Talking top-line growth. Uh, valuation. Got it. So our prior round valuation was done in 2021, which was at you know, close to the top of the market, not quite exactly the top of the market. Uh, but we were still 50% up when the rest of the market was 70% down, which is an indication to both the strength of the market, but also the strength of the business. In that last round, Snowflake was an investor in our company. 
And why are these companies invested? Because fundamentally, you can have all of the data in the world. But if you can't use it, if you can't understand it, if people aren't enabled with it, then it's really quite valueless. And, And so from our perspective, and I think from theirs, the real problem is enabling hundreds, if not thousands of people within the enterprise to actually leverage this stuff at scale. And the road has been up and to the right in general, but there is a lot of variation in terms of the returns on these projects. And so being able to return more reliably by basically building skills within each of these companies, within many of these companies, that's the real trick and that's what we try to help with. Alation CEO, Sachin Sangani here with us in San Francisco and Bloomberg Technology. Thank you so much. And actually coming up, We'll talk to Databricks investor, Race Capital, about AI some more. Also the M&A landscape and what the VC world has to say about literally everything we've been talking about on the show. Edith Young, Race Capital, coming up next. Let's get a quick check on Uber shares, where they're trading up 1.6% in the session. Piece of news out overnight. Parents, if you're listening, Uber is giving parents and caregivers the option to request a ride on the app with a car seat as part of a pay- partnership with Nuna Baby, which is a, a baby gear brand. But it's kind of a PSA. If you're out there and you're an Uber user and you've got kids, well, they've been thinking about that. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise. And everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. AI has been a technology and development for decades. A lot of tech uh, actually, I think, originates from gaming as a use case. These large language models are very exciting. And what they can do is they can act as an interface where you can finally talk to the computer in a way that you couldn't before. With Gen AI, 
there is a sort of new surface area I would say in terms of both increasing productivity of workers, for example, artists in gaming. AI will move into industries that were or are underserved by SaaS. AI is something where it can impact drug design. It can impact how we think about healthcare, how we allocate healthcare resources. I think San Francisco in particular with the AI boom is uh, really about cerebral valley. You'll walk around and literally like how they talked about in the 90s, you'll see garage doors open and people on their computers and you'll literally see on the telephone polls, flyers for AI happy hours, AI hackathons. The smartest people in the world are sitting in those cafes uh, you know, having discussions not just about starting their companies, but also what is the cutting edge of what these AI models can do. That was just some of our VC guests weighing in on AI and the rise of San Francisco as the epicenter of what's happening in AI. Let's move away from the Bay and stick with AI, though, and check out other headlines in the world of venture capital. Let's take a look at climate tech. It's been an investing bright spot. Since 2021, raking in deals as other sectors stagnated. But the first half of 2023 saw a 40% decrease in climate venture funding. That according to Climate Tech VC. Growth in late stage startups saw the biggest declines. Union 54, an African startup backed by Tiger Global, is entering the race to develop super apps as investors look to tap the continent's increasingly tech-savvy market. Called Chit Chat, it offers secure messaging paired with dollar-based virtual cards that it developed with MasterCard. The new app could debut in September. And back to AI. Intel leading a Series B financing round in the German AI startup Aleph Alpha, whose luminous language model competes with OpenAI's ChatGPT. That's all according to Handelsblatt citing sources. NVIDIA and SAP also participating in the more than 100 million euro financing round. All right, back here to the US. Let's dig in some more into the venture capital landscape and AI and bring in Edith Young, partner at Race Capital. That's a lot to take in, Edith, but where's your head at right now when it comes to investing in AI? I think, you know, AI literally is happening everywhere all at once. And this week, one of our portfolio companies, Databrick, acquired Mosaic ML for $1.3 billion. And obviously, we're also really, really into any infrastructure layer that is supporting the AI ecosystem. Um, Let's, I, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think we, we should stick with it and jump on this. Databricks acquiring Mosaic, pretty significant acquisition. What did you make of it, the rationale behind it, and, and what it's going to do to shake things up right now here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco? Yeah, it's, it's really exciting time to be. Like if you look at what, what um, Databricks particularly, in the last 60 days, they acquired three different companies. Um, uh, Akira, which is focused on more on the data governance, and then also Rubicon, which is two weeks ago, that focused on um, data storage. So now having Mosaic ML, it basically complete the story and um, building their own LLM. I think like the world the world is heading is, in some sense, um, I think you know, enterprise AI is having an iPhone moment. Everybody want a piece of AI. Um, but not just because you want to do AI doesn't mean that you will do it well. And I think a lot of the enterprise is a little weary about you know, feeding data to open AI. It's just like a black box, right? The world 
wants open source, the world wants to keep that propriety data. Hence, you know, Databricks comes in because it's really built on Apache Spark, which is an open source framework. And now you'll be able to basically build your own enterprise LLM on your own data. So that's really what you know, Databricks is pushing. So at the end of the day, you know, we've been always been saying, you know, data is really the key gold mine. And for us, the way that we look at in terms of our investment is who actually have access to propriety data. And, and it's not just about training a general personal AI, because if you think about it, right, um, if I ask a question to ChatGPT on, you know, wh who is the best doctor? Um, my, my mom recently had um, a heart, heart problem, and she would rather talk to a doctor that have seen, you know, thousands of similar um, patients with similar disease versus just, you know, I'm not quite sure to where the data come from. So essentially that's what yes. DataBrace is trying to do. So, so there's also the transactional part of this. We had Ali Godzi, the CEO of DataBricks, on the show two weeks ago, and he said, quote, when it comes to AI, right now you have to pay up. In other words, get your checkbook out. Valuations. This is getting a little big. You think about inflection. We reported with the CEO in the show today. $1.3 billion round at $4 billion. Proportionately, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed your segment um, with the CEO inflection. $1.3 billion raise is exactly the same amount uh, how much Ali have paid for Mosaic ML. And, but as you mentioned earlier in the show that you know, inflection actually have access uh, to the H100 and their partnership with NVIDIA, which to me is super fascinating. And in some sense, yes, there's a lot of hype, but yet I think there's like so much room and things going on that can be improved, not let alone, obviously, everybody is saying like we're building on, on LLM, but we also need to think about data privacy. We need right. to think about how do we correct hallucination. We don't want to just come up with some random recommendation for which doctor to go to because there's a lot more tuning need to be done. Well, Edith, on the point of, of inflection, you know, H100s are, are everything in the AI story right now, the GPU compute power. Are you phoning up Ali at Databricks and saying, what GPUs have you guys got access to? You know, <laughs> down the road, how much of a concern is that for you as a venture capitalist? Um, I think, you know, Ali has previously explained before, which is when you're training a much smaller subset of data set, uh, what Reinflection is really focusing on is literally building a personal LLM, right? So that would, could be um, an ad, ad a GPT or either GPT, but what Databricks is focusing on is training a much more subset, smaller data set of um, of data, uh, enterprise data. So in that sense, you don't really need sort of the, the H100 to train, um, but, but absolutely, NVIDIA is on fire, <laughs> being uh, over a trillion dollars um, in market cap now. Um, and being able to secure sort of chipset, especially the H100 or the A100, is super, super important for you know, all LOM-focused companies. Edith Young. Race Capital General Partners. So good to catch up. Thank you for joining us out of New York. Time now for what's going viral, and it's the number one trending on Google Trends right now. 
In a 6-3 ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court has stricken President Biden's plan to forgive student loans for some borrowers. Let's get more context about this ruling and who is the most impacted. Bloomberg's Ryan Teague Beckwith in Washington and, of course, our Wall Street reporter Shanali Basak out in New York. Bear with me. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal. President Biden saying in a tweet, the high court ruling on student loans is, quote, unthinkable. The Supreme Court striking down student debt relief is wrong. The fight is not over on student loan relief. That is President Biden's response. Ryan, based on the court decision, where do we stand right now? This doesn't leave President Biden with a lot of options. There's a lot of smaller, sort of more targeted things that he can do for giving student loans to certain sort of groups like you know veterans or people who've become disabled or something like that. But he, he's not going to be able to do the kind of large-scale program here like he was proposing. They pretty much ruled that out. Uh, so I think you're going to see a push for these smaller things, and then you're going to see a renewed push in 2024 as a campaign issue for Congress to take some kind of action on its own. Uh, Shanali, we, we need to talk about the technology side of this story, in particular fintech. The market reaction was in SoFi. Volatility, and I think we had a halt at one point. What, what is happening there? Yeah, remember, there's not a lot of lenders that are in the student loan environment here. In fact, the government itself is one of the largest banks when you think about it because there's so much debt on the government's own balance sheet. In terms of private lenders, it's SoFi, which is really one of the biggest out there. And SoFi has initially built so much of their business model around it. Ed, this end of the student loan pause is poised to help SoFi. But remember, as students start to look to refinance, interest rates are much, much higher. There are a lot of unknowns about what this more moratorium pause would mean and what it means now that many others, 40 million people, may not anymore face this idea of forgiveness. What does it also mean for SoFi at large? You've had SoFi anyways over the last couple of years really start to pivot its business model away from being so reliant on student loans and looking to other areas instead. So big question marks about the student loan business moving forward, as well as what this still large part of SoFi's business model means, but also how they continue to keep diversity away from it and who fills the student loan gaps in between. Ryan, so much of the Bloomberg technology audience might be technology sector employees, founders who are trying to make their world way in the world with student loans. And it makes me ask you the politics of this. This was really important for Biden's presidency. Right. This I mean, this is one of those things. Uh, young people helped put him in the White House. And this is a top priority among a lot of young people. Uh, so he's going to be motivated to continue to push on this. Uh, his hands are tied unless he wins back the House and the Senate. Uh, it's possible that he could do something in a second term if he had both of those through budget reconciliation, which doesn't subject to the filibuster. So there's some potential there that this could be an issue that he runs on and one that would motivate young people, which I think benefits him politically. It's clearly on demographic lines. Uh, Republicans have all come out against uh, or, you know, in favor of this Supreme Court ruling uh, who are running for president. So it'll probably be a dividing line yes. in the 2024 election. Uh, Shanali, Target also moving to the downside. The economic impact here on the consumer is a big thing. 
It's a huge thing. Remember, student loans on average are between $200 to $300 a month, Ed. That is concert tickets. That is food. That is travel. That is retail. So, of course, you are going to see an impact here. Remember, we've been in a moratorium, which is why we have that huge unknown here in terms of what that impact will be for so many borrowers to have to not only start repaying again, yes. but also have to contend with the idea that much of this won't be forgiven. Bloomberg's Ryan T. Beckwith, Shanali Basak on the story will continue to track. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. But catch me on a Twitter spaces in an hour's time. Apple, three trillion. Mark Gurman, this is Bloomberg Technology. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.